four years ago. The closing hymn that we are going to sing, the lyrics were written in the 1600s. The song you just sang, the lyrics were written in the 1100s. You might hear that, and I would understand if you concluded it's time for some new music. How come we've been singing the same stuff for almost a thousand years? And you heard in the psalm for today, we spoke together, sing to the Lord a new song. And you might say, yeah, it's about time, huh? Time for something a little bit more modern, a little bit more current. around 500 BC. So the psalm that we spoke is 2,500 years old at least. Not exactly a new song, is it? But you know, there are different kinds of What was the most frequently occurring word in English, of course, for study was Number one, 45,000 times across songs of all genres was the word love. The second was 25,000 times, the big gap, and it was the simple exclamation, oh. You might hear that information and conclude, well, most of the songs on the radio must be love songs. And right, but you're also kind of wrong. Just because a song uses the word love, is it a love song? 
I mean, you know this just as well as I do. Some songs are written between the singer to express a love that he or she has for a specific person. They're writing a song for an actual relationship that exists in time and history. But you know, a lot of love songs are not written to anyone in particular. They were just written because producers know love songs are more commonly topping the charts. And so you listen to one of these pop love songs and the singer singing all about you, you are like this, I'm gonna do this for you, we have this relationship, but he's not, he or she isn't talking about anyone in particular. And therefore he's talking about no one. So is the song really a love song? The song is not being written to anybody, the song is more about the singer, isn't it? To portray him or her as a romantic as someone who, if you would get with, they would do a lot of things for you. The song's more about them than about a particular person. Now, here's the thing. Is it possible for a Christian to sit in a pew like this one, to sing hymns like the ones we just sang, to use a lot of God-like words, to use God-like language, Christian ease, we would call it, and yet their praise of God is more about them than about God. Is it possible for us to adopt Christian-like language and praise and to sing hymns regularly, but really where our hearts are at are on ourselves and portraying an image of Christianity, making ourselves look like holy people instead of actually praising God? Well, of course that's possible. And a test that you and I can run on ourselves to audit ourselves to see if we are guilty of this is to turn back to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, our gospel today. For many of the Beatitudes, they are so-called, Jesus says, blessed are the, and then the next thing that he says is bad. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Blessed are you who have to make peace because there's conflict. Blessed are you who mourn. He's talking about a bunch of negative things. He's pointing out a bunch of things that you would not see as a blessed condition if your song of your life is all about you. If your faith is all about God doing stuff for you, how can I get with God so he makes me happy and makes my life worthwhile? Then you might hear Jesus' words in Matthew 5 and say, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want that. I don't want to be called blessed when I'm suffering. I don't want to be blessed when I'm mourning. I want God to stamp that fire out. I want a solution to that problem. And there it is. There Jesus exposes the fact that the song that we've been singing is not a song about God at all. It's a song about ourselves, about our own desires, about our own ways of thinking, about our own walking our own path. And it's not obsessed with God. It's obsessed with our own stuff. And that song, brothers and sisters, is old. It is tired. It is dull. It's like a song that you listen to constantly throughout high school, and now you hear it in adulthood, and you can't stand to hear it again. You've heard it too many times, like Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. As soon as that comes on, and it's probably already playing right now as we speak, a lot of us just hate that song because we've heard it too many times. It's the same with that selfish sinful, isolated from God's song, because that's the song you sang before you came to faith in Christ. That was your old 
song. You know there's no use for that anymore. It is tired. There is need for a change. And what is this new song about? The psalm for today, Psalm 149, commands us, you better sing a new song, better than the one you've been singing before. What about those? Rejoice, be glad that God is our maker. Rejoice and be glad that God is our king. Now, these two things are not things to be glad in if you're still separated from God. If your motive and motivation for your life is to do your own thing and isolate yourself from God, then it's not a good thing that he's your maker. Because that means you are accountable to him because you come from him. If your whole life's goal is to remain as separate from God as possible, then it's not a good thing that he's your king because that means you are drawn up in battle lines against him and he's going to come for you. So to be able to be happy about these things, God is your maker and your king, to rejoice in these things to celebrate these things, that you're so obsessed with these things that you will sing a song about them your whole life, that means a change has taken place in you. Today is All Saints Sunday. I was visiting a gentleman earlier this week, and I was thinking about today's service, obviously. And I was talking to him. He was not feeling quite well, and we were talking about the service that we were going to have today, and I said, coming up, it's All Saints Day, so what's your understanding of a saint? He said to me, a saint is someone who has their stuff together, who walks a good path, and who is a good example for other people to follow. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Are you a saint? He said, no, oh, no, not at all. Absolutely not. If that's all that a saint is, just somebody who lives well and is a good example for others to follow, then I'm afraid I don't qualify either. I have not lived a perfectly holy life, and, and neither have you. If that's all that saints are, are just people who have their act together and who walk a good path, and if that's all that we can say about them, then there's not a saint in this room. But there's more to it. The psalm for today translates a word into faithful people says it a couple times, faithful people. And the word that's used there is related to the Old Testament's favorite word for God's covenant loyalty, for God's merciful love, for God's gracious forgiveness, his steadfast love. And so to be called God's faithful people doesn't just mean that you are faithful to God, but that he's faithful to you. You are God's faithful people. You are the saints because God has been faithful to his covenant promises to love you and to forgive you and to save you. God has made good on all of those promises. He is more faithful to you than you will ever be to him. And for that, he calls you his faithful people. Look at how he proved it. In faithfulness to his promises to you throughout history recorded in the Old and New Testament, God has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Even when you were dead in your transgressions and sins, God made you alive with Christ. When you had no holiness to call your own or to brag about, God made you holy by calling you into his holy family of faith. When you have no righteousness to stand on on your own or offer to God to make him love you, he gives you righteousness as a gift through faith 
in Jesus. God's faithfulness to you far outweighs any faithfulness you can offer to him, but he has called you a saint. That's who you are through Christ. And so as fellow saints, we sing a new song to God. Now, how is it new? It's not new about God. It's not like God changed his mind about you. God's love and his faithful loyalty to his love, his mercy, his grace, those have been parts of who God is throughout eternity. God does not change. But it's kind of like this. You're invited to an exhibition of a rare Renaissance painting that was just discovered. Now, the painting is older than you are, but when you go and look at it, it's new to you. Its beauty affects you. It changes you. It causes you to feel feelings that you didn't before. This is why God's song for you is a new one. You are connected to that eternal old love for, for sinners that God has had as part of who he is throughout eternity. But it's new to you. God has changed that song you've been singing from selfishness and isolation and separation and sin to loyalty, to faithfulness, to love. God has called you into himself. He has changed you, and therefore he has given you a new song to sing. And so it's not a big deal if we sing songs that are a couple hundred or even a couple thousand years old, because the content of those songs, they're new to us. They express the new life we have in Christ. But then in this psalm, things get a little weird. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. What? We were just getting comfortable in the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of God. We were just settling down in God's covenant loyalty and faithfulness to us. And now we get this language, this violent language. We're supposed to carry a sword. We're supposed to carry out judgment. And we're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to be happy about this. It seems like there's a disconnect, doesn't it? Remember what Jesus said in our gospel for today in Matthew 5. Mourning and conflict and sin and evil, those are unfortunately facts of life. The Apostle John in Revelation calls, calls them the great tribulation. Living in this world, in this life, is a great tribulation because of all the effects of sin you have to deal with. As saints, as people wrapped up in the faithfulness of God, we trust and we confess that God is also is merciful, but he's also just. We ask God, we beg for him to overcome evil. We pray for it in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. We ask for it, we confess it in the creeds when we say Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. God will come and settle all out. And as his saints, as his faithful people, we rejoice in this. But I can understand if you hear these verses and your heart is moved with compassion. You don't want people to go through. You don't want people to 
want people to be punished for their sins any more than we want to be punished for our sins. So how is our praise of God like a sword? Well, when you sit in those pews, as you have done, and you sing these hymns to God, you are singing songs about something. The words that you sing are not just for, for their own sake, but you declare truth when you sing hymns of praise to God. And every time you declare truth in any form, you are offering something that other people can either agree with and be benefited by or disagree with and bring themselves to judgment. Whenever you confess your faith as a Christian, you're offering something for other people to either agree with or disagree with. When you live your faith, in front of other people and live Christ's love to them, they can be benefited by it or they can reject it. And so your praise of God, whether it's a song or your lifestyle, becomes like a sword. Maybe a different analogy would help. A surgeon's scalpel. It cuts so that it can heal. The cutting is not good. It doesn't feel great. That's why an anesthesia has to get involved, right? But the surgeon needs to do violence to your body in order to help you. What has God done with the sword of his truth? He has cut you. He has used his truth to cut you away from the control of sin and Satan and death itself. He did violence to your sinful nature. Your sinful nature didn't want to experience that. It was in pain. But now look at how he has healed you and called you into a new life. And so the same with our praise. We offer praise to God here in this church with our hymns and with our confessions as well as with our lives. Offering, as Paul says, our lives as living sacrifices of worship to God so that people can be helped. So that God could take the sword of his truth and, and cut other people away from the control of sin and Satan and the power of death. But that's up to him. Your job, as the psalmist says, is to just sing indiscriminately. To just live out your praise to God. To sing a song that is obsessed with God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's covenant loyalty so that others may hear. To live like you know to live according to the knowledge that you have of who God is and how much he loves you. And God will take care of the rest. He will use the sword of his truth the way he wants to. But you and I, as God's faithful people, as God's saints, we just sing so that others 